0: I guess everybody's so quiet, that must mean it's okay to start. Uh, First of all, good morning. Uh, As uh, Mr. Rogers was often fond of saying, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And I hope you're having a blessed day and will throughout the day. We are on the uh, studying the subject of the big picture of the Bible, or God's great plan, or God's plan... For redeeming man. Uh, And it's been a couple of weeks since we uh, had one of these lessons, so I want to, I want to uh, review a bit first, uh, just to remind us of some of the things we covered in the first lesson. Uh, What we're looking at is we're looking at the Bible as a whole, we're looking at primarily with these four pieces. And uh, my suggestion is that they all dovetail together very much like a 500 or a 1,000-word picture puzzle. Uh, We're looking at selected historical events. We're looking at the covenants that God established with His people, the kingdoms that He set in place to govern His people, and the priesthoods that He established to serve Him to guide the worship of the people. The other thing that it, that we have discussed is uh, some goals that God had in mind in his big-picture plan. One of the things, of course, primary thing is he wants us, individually and collectively, to become the image of Christ. Uh, and that has uh, more to do about where we, what we will be like in eternity, but of course, uh, imitating and mimicking the law of Christ in the life that we live here in this world. He wants to bring man to a garden, Uh, and I don't mean back to the Garden of Eden, but I mean the Garden of Heaven that we read about in the book of Revelation. And he wants to restore the lost relationship that we have with him. We read in the New Testament, of course, many times we see the word reconcile or reconciliation, and that's all about God bringing us back to him. The other thing I'd like to do uh, by way of review is just to uh, talk a little bit about the plan that God foreordained and put in place. Uh, The first thing He did is put a plan in place. And that plan, what He wants to do, according to Ephesians 1 and verse 4, is to stand before Him as holy and blameless so that He can indeed bring us uh, into His holy presence. Uh, God established a purpose for us, for His creation. Uh, In His creation, He wants all of creation, us as people, and all the glories of the universe to glorify Him as God, according to Isaiah 43. Then we looked in Ephesians chapter 1, at verses 6, 12, and 14, and there it specifically tells us, as the church, as Christians, as individuals, that we're to glorify God the Father for His grace, we're to glorify God the Son for the hope that we have in Him, and we are glor- to glorify and praise the Holy Spirit because He is the pledge, the guarantee, the seal that we have for the inheritance uh, in heaven. And thus far, uh, uh, we have seen two covenants, and we have the covenants of Abraham or of Adam and Noah, and we'll look at another one today. And we've seen the beginning of the priesthood, the patriarchal priesthood. And we will, of course, get to this point where we see the price that God was willing to pay, that one of a kind, once and for all, sacrifice. And uh, I've mentioned here Hebrews chapters 7, 9 and 10, where that's uh, particularly discussed at some length. Now, beginning with Lesson 3, where we are today. Uh, What I propose to discuss today is God's plan for sinners. What did He plan in His big picture uh, for to happen with sinners? And uh, since we're all sinners, I would hope this is surely something we'd have an interest in, to find out what God's plan is for all of us. Uh, We know that what happened in the Garden of Eden destroyed God's relationship with man. And we, as individuals, as a hum- humanity and as a whole, cannot put that relationship back together. Only God uh, can do that. And, uh, of course, we know, as we've discussed, he had a plan uh, to do that. And what <clears throat> I'd like to do first is look backward a little bit at some of the sins uh, that we've already discussed. Uh, very much like Humpty Dumpty sitting on the wall, uh, what happened in the Garden of Eden broke things in such a way that we cannot repair it. It is not possible for us to reverse the consequences of sin and reestablish that broken relationship with God. Uh, that, of course, Adam and Eve brought on us, uh, and it's only God who can correct it but some of the things that happened, not only was the lost relationship, but shame, fear, guilt, uh, a constant battle between good and evil uh, that we uh, live with daily. Uh, <clears throat> we've already seen in just the first few chapters of the book of Genesis this beginning of the cycles of sin. we sin see sin take place, God in his holiness cannot abide that and his wrath comes down and he takes action against that sin. But at the same time, God always has a rescue plan to re- rescue some of his people uh, from the uh, harm that he would inflict upon uh, those who's bring- he's bringing judgment against. Uh, but uh, as I was thinking about this, I had to wonder, does God, did God ever get tired of putting up with man, of these cycles over and over again, of sin and him having to uh, rescue man in some way. Uh, and I, I decided uh, that that's not a smart thing for me, kind of thinking for me to be thinking. It is not my place to question God. It is not my place uh, to know the reasoning that he has. I do know that he's a God of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and that is enough for me. How he decides to do the things that he does is not my place to question, nor is it really for any of us. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> we're going to pick up now with the historical uh, line. Uh, we've, we've looked already up, into, up through the flood and the Tower of Babel, and now we'll begin to uh, pick up bits of history Uh, following that. Uh, This is a depiction of Abraham leaving his home and traveling to the land of Canaan. Uh, As you would expect, God had a plan, and uh, he has a very specific way in mind to deal with that, and that involves this man, Abram. Abram left out first with his family left Ur of Chaldees, came to Haran, then his father passed away, and God came to him, and he said this in Genesis chapter 12, at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. So once again, God is picking a select individual, and he's making a new start, very much like he did after the flood. He made a new start with uh, Noah, and his family. So a new start, a new person, and even in a new place. And in the in the verses that follow in, uh, in chapter 12, God begins to reveal to Abram the plans that he has for him. And this is a multi-generational plan. It, it's one that takes hundreds, even thousands of years to uh, put in place. Uh, <clears throat> and we'll see... Uh, uh, in, the, in the next slide that I'll show, uh, the plan that God laid out for Abram. And the covenants we saw with Noah and with Adam, they were really very brief, very short and to the point. Now he begins to lay out to Abraham, and I know you probably can't see that image, but hopefully you can see this. This is the covenant or the elements of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He came to him and he had several things to promise to Abraham, and he had some things that he wanted Abraham to do as well. So this is the third covenant, covenant, so-called the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, And if if you'll notice there, there are three promises that are outlined that God gave to Abraham, Abraham and he spelled them out first in Genesis 12 and then in Genesis 15 and later on he begins to spell out uh, more detail. The first two promises, the land promise and the nation promise, the land having to do with the fact that they were promised to have the land of Canaan as a place to live. God came to uh, Abram or Abraham and said, this land where you are now uh, will be your land But we also know that it took hundreds of years before that could actually come about. He also promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. All of his descendants would form, actually, many nations if we look today and count the descendants of his son Ishmael uh, and all the Arab nations. But the nation of Israel, again, it took hundreds of years to bring that about. Uh, when uh, God promised it to Abraham, perhaps he thought it was going to happen soon. But uh, we do know that Abraham was a man of faith, and he continued to have confidence in God's plan and God's promises. The third promise and the one that impacts us the most uh, is this: what is called the seed promise. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham, the seed uh, of the descendant Uh, of Abraham, and we'll see that promise being fulfilled as we go through the history of the, of the Old Testament. We see the formation, or we see God bringing Israel into the land, and we see the formation of a nation. We see them establishing self-governance, uh, guided by, always by God and His prophets and His will, and even His kings and priests. What we also notice in this particular covenant is one other thing, and that God uh, God established a sign uh, as a covenant, as acceptance of the covenant, and that was male circumcision. Remember, when he made the covenant with Noah, he had a sign that he, that he, God, would keep the covenant, and he gave uh, the rainbow as a sign of that covenant. But as we go on down in Genesis chapter Chapter 12, at the next couple of verses, uh, I want to just uh, read again what God did promise to Abraham. And I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the seed promise. In you, Abraham. In your seed, all the nations, we, us, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And it's kind of interesting to uh, think about how long that it took for God to bring these things about. Uh, it was not something that happened overnight. Abraham, uh, as we know, had had several children, but only one of them was the, was the uh, son of promise uh, who would bring about... Uh, in the final fulfillment of the seed promise uh, in uh, that we read about and know as Jesus Christ now we have looked some already in lessons past about the sins that were occurring uh, at various times the sin beginning in uh, in the garden, the sin of Cain when he killed his brother Abel, uh, the sin of the whole world when God had to destroy practically all of mankind to uh, make a new start, to begin again, uh, trying to uh, establish a people that would indeed live in his image as he had created them. Now as we move on in history and we see this is something that Abram, or Abraham now, uh, encountered, and that is the uh, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. I think we're probably all familiar with the story and the negotiation that uh, Abraham went through with God in trying to save uh, these two cities. And finally he got it down to the point, negotiated with God, would you even agree if there are ten righteous souls there to save these two cities? And I think there's maybe worth pausing for just a moment and uh, making a couple of observations. One is... God is serious about sin, and uh, He will He will bring judgment. His wrath will come down. But at the same time, we should never underestimate the value of a small number of righteous souls. Sometimes I think we as Christians feel in our in our culture, in our world, that we're kind of overwhelmed. We're surrounded all around us by evil, but uh, never. Never underestimate the value in God's eyes of a few righteous souls. And also, we should not ignore the grace that God extended to Lot and his family by allowing them to escape. And this is another one of those places I have to wonder a little bit. This guy, Lot, if you remember, was one who offered up his daughters uh, for the sexual pleasure of these evil men, In Sodom. And then later on, he committed incest with his own daughters and had children by them. So, why be gracious to this guy, Lot? Uh, Again, I don't have the right to question God. I don't think any of us do. But uh, God is still working his plan, he is still bringing. Ultimately, these promises to Abraham—the land, the nation, the seed—he's going to bring them. uh, He's going to bring them to reality. Um, Another thing to uh, notice is that when God came down, He not only came down to punish Sodom and Gomorrah, but He came down as well to renew the promise to Abraham. Uh, This is another. Place uh, where he, he renews that promise, and one of the things that's worth noting is that when he came this time in uh, in Genesis 15 to describe the land, he said it's not only going to be the land that you're living in, but the extent of that land is going to reach all the way from the river Euphrates or the Great River all the way to the land of Egypt. But then, when you look at the history. You have to wait until the time of King Solomon before you read almost exactly those same words that describe the extent of Solomon's reign. From the great river Euphrates to the river of Egypt. God is patient. He doesn't move at the same pace that we like to move. But God did indeed bring about, with the precise wording, the promise, the land promise uh, that he had made uh, to Abraham, one of the things that also struck me in in thinking about Abram and the birth of his uh, son, who of course was another miraculously born son. Uh, both Abram, Abraham, and Sarah were past childbearing age, but they had a son, and he was the son of promise uh, this the world in in that time, in Abraham's time, was very much like the world that Jesus Christ, another miraculously born son, was born into. It was a world of sin. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, we live in such a world today uh, as well. But one of the things that God did in Sodom and Gomorrah when he came down, or he said, in uh, Genesis eighteen twenty one, I will go down and see. And there, only, uh, there are only there are a couple of other occasions when God used the, almost this exact expression. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, He said, "I will go down and see." And at the Tower of Babel, He will go. I will go down and see what these people are up to. So usually, it's not a good sign when God says, I will go down and see, it doesn't usually bode well. But there is one occasion when God came down. He came down uh, with His Son, came into the world, and that time God was coming down for a mighty purpose, for the salvation of mankind. There are two events that we usually look at and think about in the life of Abraham as as being very notable. One of them I've already mentioned, the miraculous birth of his son, Isaac. Uh, Abraham, at God's command, at God's instruction, had to tell his one son, uh, Ishmael, to leave and go away into the wilderness. But uh, God uh, was carrying out his plan through this one son, Isaac, uh, miraculously born as I say. The other event that we uh, think of I think is most notable is the sacrifice uh, that Abraham made of his son uh, on an altar uh, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Now we're talking about God's plans for sinners but we also need to keep in mind that there's another fellow who has a plan in mind and that's Satan himself. He has a plan for us as well. Uh, and that, of course, we read about in 1 Peter chapter 5. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan is our enemy. He's the adversary. He wants to destroy us. Uh, he is called the destroyer. He's called the adversary. Uh, when Jesus came into the world, Satan sought to destroy God's plan. He tempted Jesus and thought that he could Cause him, lead him into sin. But of course, Jesus did not. Even when his apostles were going about preaching the word, the devil tried to thwart them in various ways with persecution, with death, uh, with opposition of all kinds. Uh, but again, God's plans will not be thwarted. His plans will happen. They will go through. Uh, but we need to keep in mind that, that Satan is continually roaming about. He cannot defeat God's plan. Satan, in the death and resurrection of Christ, has already been defeated. But he can defeat us individually. He can bring us down. He has that ability, and we need to be mindful of that. But at the same time, we have these encouraging words in Romans chapter 16, at verse twenty, Romans sixteen twenty. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our God, or of our Lord Jesus, be with you. If you remember in Genesis three fifteen, uh God said that man, the heel of man would crush the head of Satan. Well this is uh another essentially repetition of that same thing. And we know that in the resurre- death and resurrection of Jesus, that head was bruised, and in, in judgment, that head, Satan, will will be crushed, and Jesus, God, will have the final victory. This Now this is looking at the uh, sacrifice by Abraham of his son Isaac. Remember, Isaac is the one who's to be the fulfillment of these three promises that uh, God had made to Abraham. But uh, after uh, offering Isaac again in uh, Genesis 22, God again uh, reminds him uh, that of his promises. And he tells him, in Genesis 2.18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Just think for a moment the impact that this one man's faith had on the destiny of the whole world. Through his seed, one man would uh, bring about God's plan, would be the realization of the seed promise that was made to Abraham. All of us are beneficiaries of that promise. We're not Genealogical uh, descendants of Abraham, but we are spiritual uh, descendants of Abraham and the Abraham's faith demonstrated in his offering of his son is uh, is a very notable event in all the Bible. Some seventy times in the New Testament alone, Abraham's faith and faithfulness is referred to. Uh, as an example uh, for us today. So he is uh, a key part, I would say and suggest, in God's plan in bringing it about. And this covenant that God made with Abraham, again, arguably would be one of the most uh, important covenants that God made uh, with his people Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, there is discussion in the New Testament about Abraham's faithfulness. In Hebrews 11 at verse 17, starting, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, "In Isaac, your descendants, shall be called he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now, Abraham was not literally, I mean, I'm sorry, Isaac was not literally Abraham's only begotten son. This term really uh, is better understood as one-of-a-kind or uh, a a one-of-a-kind son. Uh, And the same reference is made to uh, Jesus, of course, as God's only begotten son. Uh, He is the first, he is the most uh, significant, and he is indeed uh, one of a kind. I want to call your attention to one other word that's in that passage in Hebrews 11. And that's the word type, uh, or it might be, uh, you might uh, interpret it as "pattern." Abraham was a type or a pattern after God, God's faithfulness in keeping his promise, Abraham's faithfulness to God and to his covenant. Uh, Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. He was a miraculously born son. He was the only begotten son. And uh, he was not literally, but in effect, sacrificed by his father uh, on the altar. Uh, very much as Jesus was uh, literally sacrificed on the cross for us. So God is at work restoring that lost relationship that was lost in the garden. Very much like uh, Abraham received his son back uh, when the angel came and stayed his hand from killing him and offering him as a sacrifice, God also received his son back into heaven when he was glorified uh, after his ascension back to heaven. This is the next generation uh, after Isaac. This is a depiction of Isaac as he is deceiving his blind father uh, Isaac into receiving the blessing, the blessing of the inheritance. Our Jacob is another important character because, again, God is narrowing the funnel, so to speak, in terms of the genealogical line that will uh, produce Jesus the Savior. Uh, In referring to Jacob, I think we have to think a little bit about, again, why did God pick such a character? Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived his brother, he deceived his father, uh, why would God pick such a person? Paul uh, addresses that in Romans chapter nine, interestingly enough, starting at verse ten. Roman nine, Romans nine, verse ten. And not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election or the choosing, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. So it was not because of good works that Jacob had done. In fact, at the time he was selected, he was kind of a rascal. Uh, He did later uh, repent and have a life that was more in line with what God would have him to do. Uh, And his... When you think about Jacob, really Joseph is the one that we read about that has lived such a faithful and righteous life. In fact, uh, I believe it's about 25% of the book of Genesis is devoted to the life and the activities of Joseph. So you would think that Joseph would be the logical one to choose for the next generation Uh, Of to take part or be a part of God's plan. But that was not the case at all. God chose Judah. This is a depiction of Jacob at his death, on his deathbed, giving a blessing to all of his 12 sons. And again, Joseph was not, Joseph the good son was not the one that was chosen, but really Judah was kind of another uh, rascal, very much like his father had been. He was not even the oldest son; he was the fourth. And uh, I can, I think, rationalize that God didn't choose the first three because they were really rascals. But uh, Judah did later in his life uh, live a life of penitence and, and uh, service to God. But if, if you and I had been picking out somebody to carry out the plan, I don't think we would have picked Judah at all. We would have picked somebody else. But later on, we'll see. Uh, and Jacob, in referring to him in Genesis 49, said, The scepter, that is the rule, the power of uh, rule, will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, so Judah is the one. Judah is the progenitor of uh, the kings of Israel—David, Solomon—in that line uh, on down through uh, through the history of the nation of Israel. But we can't doubt that God is the one who is speaking through Jacob when He gives this prophecy about Judah, because it's 900 years later before it comes about, before the nation of Israel is uh, fully established and a line of kings descended from Judah uh, takes, takes the throne of the kingdom. Now, uh, I want to review just a little bit the, uh, the, the Bible story and how we've uh, seen God dealing with sin so far. Uh, we've seen him in the case of Cain simply just banish uh, Cain from the presence of righteous people. We've seen him in the, in the case of Noah, him totally destroying all of mankind except for one family. He destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment is not something that we can rationalize. Uh, I don't think, I haven't, I, I don't pretend to rationalize God's thinking or how he carries out his judgments. But we must, of course, be mindful of what he tells us of judgment, of his judgment uh, to come. In uh, in Romans chapter 5, at verse 12, uh, the Holy Spirit has this to say, Therefore, just as one man, that's Adam, Sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. So because of sin, death spread. Because of the sin of Adam, death spread to all of us. Uh, And spiritual death, because he introduced sin into the world, has come to all of us, uh, with the exception of those who are willing to adopt God's plan. And then later in uh, Romans chapter 5, we read this, But the free gift is not like the offense, the free gift of Christ, of salvation. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So in Noah's day, sinfulness was uh, led to the destruction of mankind. Uh, God in that and that point was essentially clearing the stage. He was making a new beginning. He did that with Abraham uh, when he sent him into another land. Uh, he gave Lot an opportunity uh, to make a new life after he left the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, God gives us the opportunity for a new life in Christ. Uh, I don't think it's, as I've said before, it's not possible for us to explain uh, God's judgment. And when we think about our own sinful condition and some of the things that we do, how can God put up with us? How can he offer his son, the son of his love, the son of mercy, the son of justice, the one who uh, completes the plan, the promise that he made first? To Abraham. So, what is what is God's plan for sinners? Well, we're all familiar with Luke chapter thirteen, at verses three and five. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, in order to be saved, sinners have to repent. This is our faith at work. That's first and foremost. Uh, those sinners who are willful and deliberate will be lost, will be judged. The second thing for us to note about uh, God's plans for sinners uh, is God's grace at work. We saw that in the case of uh, His grace toward Noah and his family. We saw that in His grace toward uh, Lot and his family. And with uh, Abraham and giving them a miraculously born son and many other incidents that we're familiar with. Uh, In Romans chapter 5, again, at verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the third thing to notice about God's plan is this. Uh, Don't forget that there's another being who's planning things for us as well. He is our adversary. He is the one who seeks to defeat us and to defeat God's plan. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, Send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.